And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. State winning three this past weekend against Kentucky and then winning on Tuesday night against Southern University. And welcome inside the Southeastern Sports Group Studios in downtown Starkville. And once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. They have the best service that you could possibly want, and they have great rates as well. Check them out at favorites.com. And once again, out of left field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. Charlie, looking back at this past weekend, we had the Sunday coffee this week. We were able to get all three games in because we had a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. And then we come back on Tuesday night and we beat Southern University 15-1 to in that game. And so looking back at the weekend very quickly, we said last week on this show, or you did, you kind of jumped out there. You said we needed to go 5-1 and one over the next two weeks. I said 4-2 and two would be okay. But, hey, we got that sweep. We kind of rebounded from that sweep the weekend before against Arkansas and got all those wins back. Well, and as we sit here today, I'm starting to think that it's even more important to go 5-1 and one than I even realized because of the way that the NCAA has come out and said that they're going to make their regional and super regional host selections based on play through the end of April. Always looked at this schedule thinking May was the time that Mississippi State would really be able to make its move. It turns more favorable once you get into the month of May, but now that's been changed, and so it is very important to bank wins. Kentucky, one of the places you have to do it this weekend, one more time that you have to be able to do it. You've got to be able to go to Auburn. Boy, I'd love to take all three, but if you gave me two right now, I'd probably take it and save the trip. So going back to that point you just made a minute ago about the NCAA, and we can we can debate this all day of whether that's a good thing or why they're doing this. Hey, we're playing on college campuses all year long. It does beg a question, to be honest with you, about at NCAA tournament sites. Now, you know, we are one of the few schools that's kind of opened up with our attendance a little bit. You kind of wonder about host schools in the NCAA tournament what they may do of coming in, what they're going to set capacity at, what they're going to allow a buffer at the field and how that will look, you know, keeping the spectators away from the edge of the field. Those are things that kind of come into play with the NCAA that we really haven't talked a whole lot about, but that's something to kind of look for over the next few weeks about what they determine with their host sites. But, but Charlie, going back to the point, April, you know, we got Auburn this weekend, Ole Miss next weekend, and then Vanderbilt. I mean, the next two weekends against top five teams in Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, you go on the road to Nashville. And like you said, the month of May, you've got Texas A&M in there. You go to South Carolina, that's going to be tough. But then you have Missouri and Alabama, a chance to make a run late. And in the past, what's been the old adage for the NCAA? Well, teams that are hot. We have a chance to be a team that's hot in May, but if they're going to make that selection the last week of April, it does bring a team like us into play. Yeah, it does. And you talk about the timing and the way the game's set up. So many things frustrate you about going to Vanderbilt, don't they? I'm not going to go on a big ramp, but you have an artificial turf mound that came and used real dirt. That frustrates me. Uh, maybe they'll ban the Whistler. Maybe he'll get socially they embrace that guy. the stadium. They they embrace that guy. They they embrace kind of that mentality up there. Yeah, there for, are there are a lot of things I could say about Vanderbilt, but just for the <laughs> for the sake of the show, we'll yeah we'll move along. Yeah, so it's interesting right now though 
let's talk about Mississippi State. Big series win against Kentucky. You had the big comfortable win on Thursday. It's in my head it's the Friday game. But the first game of the series, you had that 8-1 to one win. But then on the Friday game, the Saturday game, games two and three, you had to make some big pitches. You had to overcome some miscues. Landon Sims, well, he's still Landon Sims. He was really good. And then, boy, it just feels like Sunday. You know, we've talked about what this rotation is going to be like. It really looks like the freshman, Jackson Fristo, has just put his stamp on that spot, set its mind, and you feel like on Sunday you're going to get five good innings out of him. Yeah, you look back at this past weekend, and like you said, Charlie, so the week before against Arkansas, you were kind of left scratching your head a little bit. You know, McLeod was roughed up just a tad. You were beaten in the Sunday game against Arkansas. The Saturday game, Bednar pitched well. We got in the bullpen. They kind of got to the bullpen a little bit. But after this past weekend, Christian McLeod was the SEC Pitcher of the Week this past week. He looked like Christian McLeod of old this past Thursday night. His velocity is still down a little bit, but it's almost like he's kind of learning how to pitch at 88 to 90. And that's the key, right? We have fallen victim, I think, over the past several years to equating velocity to pitching ability. And pitching and throwing hard, while they can go hand in hand, they're not necessarily the same thing. You can get guys out without throwing 96. And somewhere along the way, that's gotten lost, hasn't it? It feels like now if a guy's not throwing 95, we think, well, how's he going to get anybody out? Does that go to the point, and I, I want to talk about this a minute ago. We, we were kind of putting together some stats about you know strikeouts and max effort, and you go into so many different philosophies now with the way that the pitching has really evolved. And then you look at Friday, this past Friday, our Saturday guy, Will Bednar, he's a guy that does throw hard, who does throw with max effort. And, you know, here early in the season, he didn't pitch the first couple of weeks of the year. We kind of brought him along slowly. You know, he's pitching you know, five, six innings a game. He pitched six innings in the past game on Friday night against Kentucky. I tell you what, I want that guy fresh late in the year. And going back to what you're talking about, about Jackson Fristo, he's a guy that's beginning to settle in a little bit more. He's not as – you can tell he's not as amped up and juiced up. And what's the old adage? You just have to do something, what, 10,000 times to be a master of your craft. But just doing things gets you more comfortable. He looks like a freshman that's kind of understands what it's like to pitch in front of a crowd now. I liked where our rotation was this past weekend. And I like the way Chris Lamonis and Scott Foxhall are using our rotation. It is very easy to pick up the stats, look around the league, and see guys who are throwing a ton of pitches early in the season. I have no idea if it had anything to do with anything, but LSU's got a guy that they threw a lot and he isn't going to be available. His career at LSU is probably done. I don't know if he overthrew him. I look at what Jack Leiter is doing at Vanderbilt. I look at what Rocker's doing. We're talking about the month of March and April. These guys regularly going over 100 pitches. Mississippi State, I don't think has had a pitcher throw 100 pitches all season long. What McLeod went 98. That's as close as we've gotten. Yeah, he threw 98. And so then you also look at you know what we've done in the midweek leading up till now with Houston Harding. He's kind of become your guy in the midweek. Did not pitch on Tuesday against Southern. Pitched twice this past weekend against Kentucky. Pitched in the first game and then the third game. He's kind of played his way into more of a weekend style as a matchup guy. Do you like that? 
I think it's going to be interesting to see whether he becomes truly a matchup type guy on the weekends. That's what he was this past weekend. He came in twice and faced one hitter each time. But I think Harding is a guy who's capable of giving you some length, and I still believe that if Fristo were to stumble, you know, Fristo goes out and he gets roughed up in the first two and you got to go somewhere, I still think Harding is that guy. And if you don't have to use him, then he's available as a matchup guy later in the game. But he still has some length to him. And we didn't have to use him in the Tuesday game. Used a lot of pitchers. Used nine guys in the game on Tuesday. Had all guys that really threw well, I thought. It was good to see Eric Sarantola back out on the mound. I thought he attacked the zone. He looked comfortable out there. Here's the thing that I took from Tuesday night against Southern. And they panned to the dugout right after he came out of the game. And he was over on the bench, and he had a smile on his face. That was a guy that was fighting himself and has fought himself all year long. It's almost a situation if you just want to see the guy just take a deep breath and relax a little bit. Going back to Sarantola and going back to our pitching staff this year and and seeing how many strikeouts we're getting per game and and what that does to you and what that does to your defense. I don't know if it it makes you more lax and because you're you're not fielding as many balls. I don't know if it means that hey we don't have to put you know the great defenders in the field because it seems like you're just getting strikeout after strikeout after strikeout. Charlie, is that just Mississippi State or is that the entire SEC? It's interesting. I went back and looked. We were actually, and we kind of thought we would be. We talked coming into this season how pitching heavy this league was going to be. I started playing in the numbers. If you go back to 2014, in an SEC weekend, looking at SEC versus SEC teams, you would see about 13 strikeouts a game total. By 2019, that was up to about 17 a game. And this is combined, both teams combining for 17 per game. Yeah, so about six and a half on average per team in 2014. Now in 2021, we are at over 19 strikeouts per game combined. So out of your 54 outs in a game, 19 of them are coming by strikeout, which is two more than even the last time we had an SEC season in 2019. So that number is really jumping up, and it goes back. I think you make a great point. I I think it raises a lot of questions. One of the things we used to talk about all the time was there were some positions on the field we didn't really care if you hit. Uh, We just cared if you could defend. Boy, it makes it tougher to justify putting too many glove guys in the field. I still think there's room for one at shortstop, but there's only so many places in a lineup right now you can say, we're going to run a guy out there who isn't hitting because of his ability to use the glove. You know, and this is probably a story for another day and something to to jump into. And we talk about that major league mentality where there's a lot of guys right now in the big leagues. And we talked to Buck Showalter about this, and he was talking about how this is one of the things that bothers him about major league baseball is nobody cares if you strike out anymore. And you kind of wonder if that mentality has filtered down to the college game a little bit because you look at Arkansas. That's a team that strikes out a lot. They wait on that big home run, which is that major league mentality. Then you flip the page and you look at the pitching staffs, and it's all max effort. It's, all, it's, it's not about pitching the contact anymore. It's all about trying to get that strikeout, which is really big. Charlie – Good numbers, man. It's awesome. When we start kind of diving down deep into that, you realize how much strikeouts are up now in today's game. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting, too, to see how teams start to adjust their recruiting. It would not – look, if you go out and you look at where Mississippi State is targeting guys right now, one of the things that you tend to see about a lot of these players that there's buzz around is their ability to hit it out of the yard. 
it'll be interesting. Look, Chris Lamonis coached teams at Indiana who had a lot of home runs. Look, you cannot turn a college roster in two years or even three. But sit back and watch. I bet we will say three years from now, if we're still fortunate enough to be doing this show, that, boy, we hit a lot more home runs than we used to. And now we have a ballpark that's kind of built for it, too. Charlie, one of those guys that used to pitch to contact at Auburn and then pitch to contact in the major leagues, Tim Hudson. There's a guy who, who was a sinker ball guy, kind of reminds you a lot of a Kendall Graveman when he was at Auburn. Of course, he had he had a great career. 1997, he had a special season. And we're going to have a chance in just a few minutes to talk to Tim Hudson about the, his career at Auburn and in the SEC and then his career with the Atlanta Braves, with the Oakland A's. He pitched in 2014 and 15 with the San Francisco Giants. When you start talking about in the Southeast – that was one of the big names in the Southeast for a long time, whether it be when he played at Auburn or when he played with the Atlanta Braves. Think back to that 1997 he had and try to imagine that happening today. In 1997 at Auburn, he hits 396 with 18 home runs. He goes 15-2 and two on the mound as a starting pitcher. That's just absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think you'll ever see anything like that again. I'd like to have just one side of that. Exactly. Give me the hitter, give me the pitcher. I don't care. I'll take I'll, – but if you get them both, as specialized, that's a dude. As specialized as the game has gotten now, when it filters down into travel ball and and people are having their own positions, I don't know if you're going to see that again. I don't know if you're going to see the guy that can hit all the home runs and hit for average at 400 and then you know get 15 wins in a season. And so, hey, I'm looking forward to it. I actually talked to Coach Polk this morning, and he says, hey, asked him just how close he came to coming to Mississippi State. He said, I recruited him hard out of Chattahoochee Valley oh. Community College. Oh, I'm scared to know. Only, only How many if, guys, what kind of roster could I build right now with guys who were near misses? Or not even counting. Look, you've got guys we signed who didn't show up. Yeah, Austin Riley's playing with the Braves right now. But a lot of folks don't think about like a Pat Borders who signed here with football and baseball and then ended up being the World Series MVP for the Blue Jays with Jay Jay Bell. Bell. Yeah. Who would have been the shortstop in the 90s. Wow. That's a show for another day about guys that, you know, Billy Hamilton, guys that signed with Mississippi State that that didn't show up to campus. And then there's the guys who said, man, that was my second choice, Ben McDonald. How different (laughs) is the history of Mississippi State baseball if you got Big Ben out on the mound on Friday nights? Oh, no doubt. Hey, so I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking to Tim Hudson, one of the all-time good guys in college and professional baseball. Once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. Check them out at favorites.com. They've got great service. And you know all the agents. They're in your community. They're embedded with you. They're at church with you. They're at the carpool line with you dropping your kids off at school. So check them out at favorites.com and go with a home team at Farm Bureau. When we come back, we'll talk to the former big leaguer Tim Hudson coming up next right here on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. 
Heartland, located in the Mississippi Delta in Itabina, just to the west of Greenwood, producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish known to man. They're in great restaurants throughout the southeast, and you can check them out at Jim and Nick's Barbecue. You know, Jim and Nick's, they've got 38 locations. They're based out of Birmingham. If you're headed over to Auburn this weekend, they've got a location in Auburn. But, of course, they've got great barbecue. But the thing about Jim and Nick's, my kids always get the catfish plate just about wherever we go, no matter what we get. But Jim and Nick's, they've got that great fried catfish plate. And when you're eating at Jim and Nick's, always know that you're eating catfish supplied by Heartland Catfish. So let's go to the phone where a member of the Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame and played in the big leagues for a long, long time, pitched over at Auburn. Tim Hudson will join us now. And Tim, appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I appreciate y'all having me on here. Tim, before I got here today, I talked to Coach Ron Polk, and he said the first question you have to ask Tim Hudson is, he says, I feel like we were the last school that he turned down. And we talked to Ben McDonald a couple of years ago, and we talked to Ben twice, and he said, you know, Mississippi State was always my second favorite school. Ron Polk says, I thought Tim for a minute was going to come. How close were you to coming to Mississippi State? Well, you know, it was, uh, you know, obviously Mississippi State back in the mid to late 90s was a, a program that was, you know, one of the premier programs in the country. And, you know, they were definitely right there for me. You know, the, the one thing is they were wanting me to come on a recruiting trip in the spring. And I had just went on a recruiting trip in the fall to, to Auburn and loved Coach Baird and just loved everything that that program had going for it. And, you know, if, if uh, Coach Pogue, if they would have had me on, on an earlier recruiting trip, you know, it probably would have, that may have changed things significantly, but with Auburn being, you know, half hour from my home and, you know, I just love what the coaching staff had going on there at Auburn. They were just, you know, coming off of a great 95 season. But you know what? I mean, what's not to like about Mississippi State, you know, especially then, you know, and now for, you know, for that matter, you know, Coach Polk was, you know, he was a legendary coach and still is. And, and you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, man, I wish, it would have been nice to have gone on that recruiting trip a little bit earlier. You know, and it and, and turns out that, you know, after I got drafted, I left Auburn and got drafted, you know, I actually played with, you know, two or three guys from Mississippi State, got drafted with them in, in Oakland uh, with, you know, Eric DeBose and Adam Pyatt. You know, they were both guys that I'd got actually gotten drafted with. So they were, and they were all about the Mississippi State Bulldog for sure. Well, I'm going to give Coach Polk a hard time and saying he's the one that dropped the ball. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. You know what? It probably it probably would have been hard for me to to change my mind from Auburn. It was a place that I'd really fallen in love with, and and it, it was just nice at that time to know that I was getting some traction from some of the best programs in the country. You know, because you know, coming out of high school, I wasn't a big prospect coming out of high school. I had to go to junior college for a couple of years, and for a while, I thought folks were playing jokes on me when I was getting phone calls from you know Hal Baird and you know Coach Polk and and a lot of these other schools. I thought I thought some of my buddies might have been playing tricks on me for a minute. You know, Bart and I talk all the time about junior college baseball. We actually visited last week with Marcus Timms, who's now the hitting coach of the Yankees. And before Marcus became a pro ball player, he played down at East Central here in Mississippi. With all the compression that's taken place with guys getting extra years, what role does it seems like junior colleges may have as important a role in the development of players as ever right now? They are for sure. You know, junior college baseball is always pretty competitive, especially here in the southeast. And you know, this year, I, I don't know, if there's ever been uh, better players at, at the junior college level than they are right now, just because of what happened with COVID and, and, and players getting for years and really good players at the you know Division One level. You know, opting to go down to the junior college level for, for a year just to 
you know, to get some, some more playing time and to get developed and to have a chance to, you know, maybe get drafted from junior college on into pro ball. And, you know, it's, I know a lot of, a lot of junior college coaches are really benefiting from it. They have a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of really good players to choose from right now. And, you know, it was just a little bit of a trickle down effect, you know, domino effect with some, some players, uh, you know, from the D1 level on down. And, you know, it really hurts the fringe college player, the junior college player that, you know, maybe towards the bottom third of, of the of a junior college roster. Some of the kids that may get, you know, may get pushed out of a program. But, you know, I know the junior college coaches are, are probably loving it right now because they're getting some, you know, some pretty good talent. Talking with Tim Hudson, longtime big leaguer, won a world championship in 2014 with the San Francisco Giants. And of course, longtime pitcher with the Atlanta Braves as well. And, Tim, along those lines, you know, kids coming up today and with travel ball and you've got just so many players – kind of the tag off of what Charlie just brought up about junior college guys. And, you know, you look at how kids are recruited now and the youth <laughs> that is being recruited. We're talking about eighth and ninth graders. You know, you talk about you, you talk about Marcus Timms or guys that, you know, coming out as, as high school seniors, maybe not as big, strong, and fast as what a lot of folks thought you were. It seems to me like right now we're kind of going back to the way it was when we were involved in the mid nineties of it's, it's not a bad thing to have to go to a junior college. No, you know, I don't think it is at all. In fact, if, you know, if I would have, you know, gotten recruited by some bigger schools, say an SEC program and had a chance to come, come here to, to Auburn, I don't, don't know that I would have gotten developed just from the lack of playing time and opportunities that I would have had as a freshman or, or sophomore. Uh, you know, I was a smaller guy. I wasn't exactly the blue chip body that you look for as, from a big school. And, you know, those two years that I was able to spend, or really the, the first year that I was able to spend in junior college, you know, really helped me in my development, both physically from a, a maturity standpoint, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things where I, and I see it some with, with some freshmen that are coming in now uh, at Auburn is, you know, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. Uh, you know, sometimes their eyes may get a little big when they look around and they see, you know, the big stadiums and the, and the big programs. Sometimes that one year of junior college is pretty vital for the for that development and from a confidence standpoint. You know, even you know after playing two years at junior college, when I you know I came into Auburn, you know as a pretty highly recruited junior college player, and you know for the first you know two or three months, I was wondering if I was good enough to compete and play there and be an impact player. You know, in the, at the SEC level that I was recruited to be, and you know it took me a second to realize that. So you know I, I just put myself as if I were a freshman coming in you know, how much even more overwhelming that would have been. And it was it was vital for me to, to you know, to play at that junior college level. But, you know, that's not the case for a lot of kids. Some kids come right in and they're physically ready. They're, from a maturity standpoint, they're ready. Uh, being able to juggle school and, and practice and studies and, and travel on the road, those are things that a lot of kids, you know, before college didn't have to bother with all of that. And now it's a lot of multitasking going on. So, some can jump right in and handle it right away. Some need that junior college year or two to, you know, to, to get their feet going and, and start realizing, okay, I don't have mama there washing my jersey anymore. I don't have mama there making me lunch and breakfast and dinner. And, you know, some growing up that has to happen, and some kids take it a little quicker than others. You know, it's interesting. When I talk to my college-age son and I say I'm going to be talking with Tim Hudson today, he thinks Atlanta Braves pitcher. Maybe it's a sign of my age or my interest, but I think about that 1997 
baseball season that you had at Auburn where your SEC player of the year, you hit nearly 400 with 18 home runs, go 15-2 and two on the mound. You had that experience, obviously one of the great all-time years of any SEC player, but you did it as a dual position player. It's, we've talked to so many guys who talk about this idea that at some point I had to make a decision, I'm going to hit or I'm going to pitch. And for most guys, that decision comes much earlier. Is the season that you had is in today's game, is that possible anymore? Gosh, you know, I, I hope it could be. I, you know, as a coach, you love seeing baseball players. You know, fortunately nowadays, you know, kids are getting, you know, they're getting so specialized not only into a sport at a young age, but to a position. You know, I see a lot of kids in high school, you know, in the ninth grade and 10th grade, they're POs, you know, and or they're just an outfielder. It's nice seeing kids who are just athletes and they're able to do a lot of things and they're given the opportunity to do a lot of things and they're not pigeonholing themselves into one specialized position or sport. You know, I get it with maybe, you know, choosing a sport, you know, at some point and concentrating on that just because it's so competitive nowadays at the high school level that if you don't concentrate on baseball year-round, you're almost going to get lost in the shuffle and it's going to be a lot of catching up you're going to have to do later in your high school career. But, you know, the fact that, you know, kids can, can go out there and, and excel at both on the mound and at a position, you know, I think it's something that can happen if, if they're given the time and the opportunity and the, the innings pitched on the mound and the at-bats. The problem is there's so many good baseball players nowadays um, with all these high school programs and with all these travel ball programs that there's just not enough innings for these kids to be able to, to go out there and pitch, you know, because you have a lot of a lot of kids. There's a lot more kids playing nowadays at a, at a much higher level, I think, than when I was their age. Talking with Tim Hudson. We're going to keep Tim through the break. We'll talk to him when we come back. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. We're talking to former big leaguer and Auburn great uh, Tim Hudson. Tim, at what point in your career, and kind of going back to what we talked about just a moment ago about the dual position player, at what point in your career, because you were so successful, you know, I think back, we talked to Mitch Moreland, who he pitched at State. He also was in the lineup as well. And he, he realized when he got into minor league baseball with the Rangers about when he had to make that decision about whether he was going to pitch or whether he was going to hit. When did you have to make that decision of what you were going to do? Well, you know, I, I knew in my heart pretty early on in, in my career at Auburn that I was going to be a pitcher before a hitter. And, and before I got to Auburn, I thought I was a hitter before a pitcher. You know, I got to the SEC. You know, my first year at Auburn wasn't a bed of roses. You know, the first month or so into the season, I wasn't swinging it that well, and I wasn't throwing it that well. And then halfway through my junior year, I, you know, Coach Baird, he had a talk with me, said, hey, listen, you know, we, we think that, you know, your future with us is, you know, number one priority is going to be on the mound. You know, let's really concentrate on, on pitching and getting guys out and working on that craft and put the outfield and, and hitting on the shelf for a little bit. And I was like, okay, that's fine with me. I need to figure one of them out. And from that point on, I really started taking off on the mound, started pitching with confidence, started really realizing and believing that I could do it at that level. Honestly, at the time, I thought that probably I was going to end up being a PO the rest of my career. I thought that it was going to be kind of a thing of the past, you know, hitting. And then going into my senior year, I don't know if we had a player that we had 
uh, a sign that ended up signing pro or lost a commit here or there, but we were short outfielders. And Coach Baird told me that he was going to give me an opportunity to hit again and play the outfield. So I was like, okay, that's awesome. So that whole summer, you know, I just worked on hitting, played in a little weekend league up in Montgomery and, and uh, traveled around and played a little bit of cable weekend baseball. And next thing you know, I went into the fall and I, I felt like I could do both of it at a pretty high level. And that carried into the spring. And, you know, my senior year, you know, it was uh, everything lined up, man. It was just one of those things where there was confidence both on the mound, both at the plate, playing center field. It was just something that, that really started, you know, clicking for me. And we had a really, really awesome year as a team. It was so much fun. And, you know, had a chance to go to the College World Series that year. Played Mississippi State. Oh, we didn't play, play Mississippi State, but they were there. It was, it was pretty special year for the SEC that year. We had four teams in the College World Series in 97, and all four of them was from the SEC West. You know, a lot of a lot of scouts liked me as a center fielder, and a lot of scouts liked me as as a pitcher. You know, luckily the the A's drafted me that year in the sixth round, and they wanted me as a pitcher. They didn't have a lot of interest in me playing a playing a position, which I was happy. You know, but the baseball player in me was a little bummed out because I knew that you know I, I probably could have still hit at the professional level. Um, I just I'm just not sure if I'd have gotten to the big leagues, you know, as quickly as I did as a pitcher. But I knew that my best ticket to get there and to have a career was on the mound. You know, thank the good Lord, he he blessed me with that opportunity to play with with Oakland and Billy gave me an opportunity to move up into their organization and you know let the rest was kind of history. You played college baseball near home. You come up with the A's. Then all of a sudden, you find yourself in Atlanta, right back near home. I'm curious, just kind of the pressures, if you go from a small market team that seemingly at times in its existence has developed players to trade them for prospects, to a team that's all in for winning in a big market, and of course in the southeast, is you know, right at the top of everybody's interest level. How difficult was that, making the transition to Atlanta, and all of a sudden the, hey, don't worry about tickets, old buddy Tim will get us in. <laughs> how hard was that playing locally? <laughs> The ticket thing was probably more pressure than playing part of it. Uh, <laughs> my wife, can, my, I'm sure my wife can attest to that. But you know what? It was, you know, grew, growing up a Braves fan, I mean, I was thrilled to death that Billy traded me to the to Atlanta. And he and I were, we're still really good friends. You know, even though he was my boss, he was a general manager that, you know, he cared about his players. And I think he, the reason for that is one big reason why he traded me to a place where he knew that me and my family was going to be going to be happy again. You know, having that chance to play for Bobby Cox and being teammates with, you know, John Smoltz and Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones and just, you know, all these players and, and managers and coaches that I grew up as a huge fan of, it was kind of, it was crazy to me. that There I was in spring training in 2005 and I'm playing catch with John Smoltz and I was, geez, am I dreaming here? You know, I need to pinch myself. And uh, but there was some pressure there, you know, because they, you know, they traded some really good prospects for me, and, and they traded me to come over to be, you know, to anchor the the staff. In my mind, I was like, man, you know, they're bringing me over here to be the ace of the staff. I'm looking over my catch partner here, and it's John Smoltz, and I'm like, man, who in the world is ever going to be starter in front of <laughs> John Smoltz? Yeah, you know I mean, let's be honest here, you know. So, and that was the first year that he was making his transition from closing back to the rotation so it was you know that was one of those things where i was like man listen i ain't you know i think i'm i think i'm pretty good and i think i could be an ace of most clubs but you know i think when john smoltz is on the rotation with us i believe he's garnered the the nod for opening day starts and and the lead of, of pitching staff so that was honestly a, a really 
cool moment for me to be able to to know that I was pitching alongside him, and and you know to have Bob Cox called in the shot, and Leo Mazzoni in the in the dugout, you know, as, as one of my pitching coaches. And, you know, there was a little bit of pressure there. But like I said, man, most of the pressure was from friends and family wanting to come up all the, on the weekends and come to games and then wanting to go to lunch and dinner afterwards. And, you know, juggling that part of it, probably the harder of all of it, honestly, you know, because we have a job to do. And, you know, we were at the time we had a newborn my first year in, in Atlanta. We had a newborn, a one-year-old and, and a four-year-old. So it was my first couple of years in Atlanta was a little bit of a blur just from all those things that was getting thrown at me at one time. I know my wife, you know, I know that was a moment in her life where she was like, man, it seemed like it was a big fog for a few years. Yeah, and that's as, as what's kind of crazy, you know, is everybody that comes to the ballpark, they're like, hey, let's go hang out afterwards. They don't understand it. Hey, you've got bottle time. I mean, it, it's your time when you get home that you, you've got to work out the trade. Tim, it's interesting. You know, we talked to Steve Smith last year, and Steve, of course, was a pitching coach at Auburn right before you moved on to Tennessee Tech. And of course, he spent time here at Mississippi State uh, in early in his career. And then when Steve left and went to take that Tennessee Tech job, then all of a sudden we hear through the wire Tim Hudson's going to be the new pitching coach at Auburn. And the first thing that that came to a lot of minds is why in the world. With Tim Hudson, who spent so much time in the big leagues, why would he jump back into coaching? And of course, you know we're coaching. You're coaching at the highest level, and we're we're a part of the highest level of college baseball. But why did you make that decision to get into coaching? Well, I think once baseball is in your DNA, it's, it's ingrained in you. You love it. I've been living here in Auburn since 2009 or 2010, and just love Auburn baseball and. You know, I really love what Coach Thompson's been doing with the program and, and, and the staff that he's put together. And, you know, honestly, I, I was coming back and finishing my degree. And, and I was going to come and, and be the volunteer student assistant and just kind of hang out, you know, and help out as much as I could with the staff while I was doing that. And then Coach Smith took the head coaching job at Tennessee Tech. And Coach Thompson, you know, approached me with this opportunity to be the pitching coach at Auburn. And I was like, man, you know, I. I hadn't really thought about it before that, but he put that opportunity out there for me. And, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I just felt like it seemed right. And I felt like it was an opportunity that, you know, I would really enjoy uh, working with some kids who, you know, who are eager to, to get better, who are eager to, to hopefully pitch in the big leagues and, and have a career past the college level. You know, I just I had so many coaches along throughout my career just really pour into to me as a player and as a pitcher and as a person and, you know, I felt like it was a, a, an awesome opportunity to be able to do that and, you know, have it go full circle and, and me be able to do whatever I could to help out these young men. And, you know, even though I'd never done it before, you know, I was, I'd, I'd never been a pitching coach in my life. I knew my way around the mound pretty well. But now instead of worrying about one pitcher, which was myself, now I have, you know, 18 of them that, you know, I have to have eyes on and, and, and try to give little nuggets here and there to try to get them better and, you know, help them work on their craft. Tim, before I let you go, I've got to ask you one question. I have made the argument that great hitters sometimes are the worst hitting coaches. The idea being that Rafael Palmero, for example, didn't have to spend a whole lot of time thinking about his swing the way a guy who's trying to make the roster, he's kind of grinding it out, who's working the pinch hit at bats and doing those kind of things. How hard has it been for you to go from being an all-star, being a 200-game winner, you know, being a guy who's pitching at the absolute highest level of baseball, to now adjusting to some guys and to trying to give instruction to guys to candidly, who 
have a little tougher time perhaps in hitting a spot than you would have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's funny you say that we, yeah, we were joking about this one time. Eric Hensky uh, was in the cage with uh, Chipper Jones one time in Atlanta. And Chipper was talking to Eric Hensky about doing some hitting, doing this and doing that. And Chipper was like, man, all you got to do is this, this with your hip, this with your foot. And, you know, and I remember Hensky was like, Chipper, you know, not everybody can wake up, you know, off the couch <laughs> and hit doubles, you know, every night like you can. So, you know, it's funny you say that because I understand exactly what you mean, but you know, fortunately for me, you know, throughout my career, you know, the, the last half of my career, I really had to grind to, to get to the level that I wanted to be. You know, I had to reinvent myself a couple, you know, two or three times to, to stay in the league and, to, you know, to add a pitch here to do something a little bit different there. So, you know, it wasn't like I was able, I was able to just go out there and throw it out there and it, and it would be cruise control every, every night. You know, it, it wasn't like that at all. So, if you look at me early in my career and me later in my career, it's two totally different pitchers. And, you know, I think you know, having to had do that, it, it was one of those things where, you know, I feel like with younger players, you know, e- even though everybody's a little different, everybody's style is a little different, you know, I've had the opportunity to be somewhat of a, of a different player throughout my career, different pitcher throughout my career. And, and being able to have pitched with a lot of different kinds of pitchers throughout my career, teammates, you know, and learning from, you know, some of the best, you know, in the game over the years is something that you know, I've enjoyed sharing with these boys. You know, the one thing that I that I will say is I still remember how hard it is. I still remember, you know, that it's, it's not a walk in the park sometimes. There's going to be times where, you know, you have to really grind through some games and you have to really figure it out and, you know, I know there's some coaches and, 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 you know, when they get done playing, you know, sometimes they'll forget, you know, how hard it is once, you know, I haven't done that and I, I know it can be challenging, but it's, you know, whatever I can do to help these boys, I, I feel like I can kind of relate to them still as a little bit of a player. I know I've been retired for a few years now, but, you know, I can still relate to them as a, as a pitcher and help them, you know, whatever I see from them. And I can kind of put myself in their shoes and I can kind of have an idea of what's going through their head as, as a pitcher and try to help them apply something that I think can, can help them at that time. And um, But you know what, it, it, but having said that too, it's it's been absolutely unbelievable ha- having Coach Thompson alongside me here because, I mean, he is an unbelievable pitching coach in his own right and having a chance for him to come in and, and have two different sets of eyeballs on it. I think it's been tremendous for him because he has gone through the through the battles with young pitchers and understand what it's like year in and year out with a college age pitcher, and you know some things, some little nuggets that he throws out there may have, may not have been something that I was particularly thinking about at that moment that would click with some of these kids, and vice versa. And there's some things that we, you know, I feel like we've we've worked really well together, you know. So I, I think it's been a a tremendous opportunity for these boys. Tim Hudson. Hey, Tim. Appreciate you joining us today. Okay, before I do hang up, I do want to know, if you, Greg Dry, Gabe Gross, and Butch are fishing, and let's throw Scott Sullivan in there too, who's catching yeah. the most fish? Oh, man, you know, I think Greg Greg Dry is pretty daggum good, man. He's <laughs> like the fish whisperer. You know, I don't know what he does. He, he can – He'll jerk them out of there, man. And I think it depends on where we're fishing and what we're fishing. I think we're fishing at Lake Martin for some crappie or some some stripers. I think Coach Thompson may have the I think he may have the lead on us now. He's really taking into this lake fishing. 
up here at Lake Martin. Yeah, I'm more of the old redneck fishing, man. You get me out there with some catfish or something, <laughs> some chicken livers, <laughs> I might get you there. But, but I think Greg's right. He's, he's pretty he's pretty daggum good. Man, yeah. Hey, Tim, appreciate you joining us. Great stuff, man. Good to see you, and yeah. look forward to talking to you this weekend as well. I can't wait, guys. Y'all have a good one. And that's Tim Hudson, a former big leaguer. He pitched at Auburn. He's the pitching coach at Auburn right now. Charlie, I tell you what, man, he's just a, just a good old boy. He's like me and you, Charlie. He's just a good dude. Well, I like to think that uh, I'm a good dude. Unfortunately, my right arm didn't work quite as well as his did. <laughs> <laughs> my baseball's got me uh, several million dollars less than him. How fascinating that that guy has all the success that he had Look, he's a 200-game winner in the major leagues. He made $120 million in salary. And he says when all that's done, not that he wants to go to the beach. He wants to go fishing and maybe coach some college baseball. I think it really says a lot, though, about college baseball that somebody wants to be a part of it. I think that's one of the changes we've seen in the game. 20 years ago, that doesn't happen. I think the status of the SEC, the quality of play, is now – has to be much more attractive to these guys who played even at the highest levels. And we talked about it in the first segment. One of those could have been. He was close. But, hey, he was close to home. A Phoenix City, Alabama guy. He's from that area. But he thought about it. He thought about pulling the trigger. And so great to talk to Tim Hudson. When Charlie and I come back, we'll kind of preview that series between Mississippi State and Auburn this past weekend. And once again, that conversation with Tim Hudson brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Yeah, welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureaus. Time now to take a look at this week's opponent, the Auburn Tigers. This segment brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, located on Highway 49 in Florence. Country Meat Packers, they have a great storefront there. They they smoke ribs and brisket on Saturday. Just uh, check them out on Facebook. They'll let you know when they're doing all that good stuff. But they have great things that you need and must for your tailgates. They have the great spices there. And, of course, that fantastic country-pleasing sausage that's located throughout the southeast. Charlie, this weekend, the Auburn Tigers. State goes on the road to Auburn this weekend. Bulldogs. Haven't played Auburn, of course, since 2019. The last time we played Auburn was in the College World Series. The Tigers were an out away from kind of knocking us off in that first round, had an error late, and we picked up the win in Omaha a couple of years ago. But they're going to try the guy out on Friday night in Cody Greenhill. And when you start looking at how we pitch at Mississippi State compared to how Auburn is going to pitch this weekend, we talked in the opening segment about all the strikeouts that our pitching staff has gotten Auburn is going to be the old-fashioned Butch Thompson. We're going to pitch it down in the zone. We're going to try to get ground ball outs, and we're a ground ball hitting team. Look at Green Hill. How many times opening an SEC series will we say this, given the way the game is today? He has fewer strikeouts than he has innings pitched, and not just fewer, but significantly fewer. 24 strikeouts in 33 and a third. That is not the typical number you see on a Friday night starter in the SEC. But go back and you look at what he has done. Forget how he gets outs. He's getting them. You go and you look. Arkansas, last game out, he went seven innings, allowed just one earned run, only three hits. He went five against Kentucky, allowed two earned runs. He went seven against Ole Miss, 
four hits, no runs. Green Hill is a little bit different. We talked about this kind of with Christian McLeod earlier. This is a guy that knows how to pitch. He isn't going to rocket to the top of draft boards because he throws 96. In fact, he may live in the upper 80s, throw 90. But the thing that he does is the guy has, what's that thing they say, pitchability. The guy knows how to pitch. And if we wake up on Saturday and this game doesn't go our way, I'd be willing to bet we're going to be complaining that we hit a lot of weak ground balls on the infield. Gonna wear that second baseman out. (laughs) (laughs) There have been times this year that the second baseman for the opposing team deserved like extra pay because they have to work overtime. And, of course, we'll have Christian McLeod going in the game on Friday as well. So that'll be an interesting matchup. You've got a lefty for us, a righty for Auburn and Cody Greenhill. Then you look at the Saturday outing when we'll have Will Bednar going out, a 1-0 record, a 2.35 earn run average. Auburn will throw a left-hander, Jack Owen. He's been over there forever. He's a senior left-hander, 0-1 record, 7.04 earn run average. Hartsell, Alabama. Who's from Hartsell, Alabama that Butch brought over here when he was at State? Oh, another lefty. Chad Gerardo. Yeah. Chad Gerardo from Hartsville, Alabama. Let's hope that Jack Owen is early Chad Gerardo. And not, not late, late Chad, Chad Gerardo. Gerardo. And then Sunday, that, that game is going to feature two freshman right-handers. State's going to go with Jackson Fristo, 3-2, and two, a 3.34 earn run average. And then Auburn's going to go with a freshman right-hander, Joseph Gonzalez, 0-2 record of 4.87 earn run average. You know, Auburn's a team that 1-8 in the SEC. They played Arkansas at Arkansas. They played Ole Miss at Ole Miss. And so this will be the third top five team that they have played here early in the season in SEC play. Now, that weekend that really cost them was they slipped up at home and were swept by Kentucky. That's the only time they played at home this year in SEC play, and Kentucky won 8-6, to 7-6, and 6-4, to four, so three close games over at Auburn a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, Butch, we all know Butch. We all know the story about the, how much time he spent at Mississippi State. He's now in his sixth season as the head coach at Auburn, went down there for the 2016 season. And so, hey, it, it's always good to go back and see those guys. Greg Dry's on the staff down there. Of course, you got Gabe Gross who played at Auburn and Tim Hudson on that staff as well. That's a ballpark. It's somewhat of a short porch to left field but they have the high green wall in left field. But that can be a home run hitting ballpark. And so you start factoring in what's the wind going to do. You really don't know. But uh, but Auburn is a team that's going to try to pitch down in the zone this weekend. They don't have a ton of home run guys. They've got a couple in Tyler Miller, Ryan Bliss, guys kind of in the middle of the order there. They have nine and seven respectively. So although it's not a lineup that you have a ton of big hitters coming through there, but you've got a lot of guys with a little bit of pop and you give the wind the wrong turn, boy, better keep it down. And you know this about Butch Thompson. His guys will. Yeah, they will. You know, their Friday night guy, we talked about this before the season started, their normal Friday night guy was going to be Richard Fitz, younger brother of Trevor Fitz, went down to Auburn. He was a preseason top ten projected draft pick out of college and he's had a foot injury he hasn't pitched you know, much at all he's pitched a little bit over the past couple of weeks out of the bullpen for maybe an inning or two and he's been hit a little bit and so you know th- this is not an Auburn you know pitching staff rotation that has been you know clean as far as being healthy all season long they're getting healthier as uh, Tim Hudson said a minute ago but 
This is an Auburn team that also has some guys on the infield, a Rankin Woolley, a Ryan Bliss, who's very good and been anchored on that Auburn infield. And so they have a good infield to catch those ground balls, but they have some tough losses. They lost two out of three early in the year against Boston College. I think that was the weekend we realized and everybody realized how good Boston College was. They beat Texas A&M early in the year. They lost to Oklahoma early in the year. But you know the Friday games – they have been very good in their series. Game one, they have been very, very good. They lost one to nothing against Ole Miss in Oxford. They lost eight to six in ten innings against Kentucky, and they beat Arkansas last weekend in Fayetteville two to one. And so, game ones for them with Green Hill on the mound. They try to set the tone that first game, and so Friday night's going to be a big one for State. Yeah, it's going to be really big. And look, if This is a situation, I go back to what I said earlier, Bulldogs need to find a way to take two this weekend. It gets a lot harder if you can't find a way to do it on Friday. And this look at the Bulldog opponent this weekend brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, go get you a sack of that jalapeno cheddar. The three cheese, they've got it all right now out. The three cheese, they got the black pepper and cheddar. So try all these new flavors. They're really fantastic, country-pleasing sausage. So, Charlie, I enjoyed it as always. Great show today. It was good to talk to Tim Hudson about almost coming to Mississippi State and then that great career he had in Major League Baseball. And, of course, we get the table set for the Dogs and the Tigers, Mississippi State and Auburn this weekend at Auburn. Once again, our thanks to our fine sponsors, Farm Bureau, our presenting sponsor, Heartland Catfish, and Country Pleasing Sausage. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.